Welcome to Calvin's Corner. My name's Phil Nasons. He's Pastor Michael Newham, and we're here to talk, just to talk. What's happening, partner? Good morning, Phil. Good to hear your voice again. Hey, same here. You know, I appreciate you keeping a, a lookout after me, ordering me around, telling me to stay down. That was the best advice someone could give who knows me, because you know I don't. And, uh... Wow. I'll tell you what, it's just great to be back. And I want to thank people for writing to me and asking me how I'm doing. That's so nice, dude, when people care about you. And these are people I've never met. That is one of the the, uh, benefits of social media is that you have a lot of friends, of course, until you make them angry. And then you don't have any. (laughs) But, you know, you've been well known to our community for how long years and years dude. years and years so you know when phil's not around least. we want to know why a decade at least you know what's really funny the other day it came up on my facebook feed remember when uh we were doing what color is the sky in your world all those years ago yes yeah that came up on my feed but i don't know how those sound anymore because I, I well you know how i am about sound um i didn't share it but I laughed about it, and I thought I would tell you about it. That was funny. That was over <laughs> seven years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've been doing podcasts now for 10 years. I remember you you probably one of the very first people that knew about that. And, uh, yeah, it's great to hear your voice, too, and everybody's doing great. Unless you're a Minnesota Vikings fan. Thanks a million, Phil. Thanks well, for it's bringing kinda, it up. Well, don't worry. I'm going to share my pain, too, because it hasn't healed. But it's interesting, you know, people talk about sports and, you know, fans. I mean, and I don't know how to define true fan or real fan. But one thing I do know is that you can get attached to sports teams very easily. And a lot of times it's like Christianity because you've got these highs and lows. And it's you have these teams that you root for that, well, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, it just doesn't win ever. And you're wondering when the when the light at the end of the tunnel is going to be the closest to you, and it never is. It never seems to get any better. I mean, don't you find the correlation there a little interesting? There are times when it's a little spooky, um, you know, especially as a Viking fan, because the Vikings get close, and then something happens that just completely trashes you. Oh yeah, huh? <laughs> and it's been that way. Uh, from the beginning when you thought that you know they were finally going to get over the hump and you know they smashed into the hump and (laughs) were obliterated and there are times when that's kind of a metaphor for my uh life (laughs) more often than not right Uh, and what i've learned to do is you know the Christian walk is not all um, all roses. No. In, in any stretch of the imagination. No, it isn't. But there are times when God makes himself known to you. And it's usually in, in such a way that it's not a way that you can repeat to anybody because they're not going to believe it. Right. But you know that God has shown himself to you. And you just remember those things. 
because they're undeniable experiences for you. And, yeah. and it's what gets you through to the next thing. Um, so, so the Vikings had a, a, a pretty good year. I thought they had a great year. And they get into the playoffs, and there's this miraculous catch to win that playoff game, the Minneapolis Miracle. Oh, yeah. I was so happy for you, dude. And I couldn't wait till that call came, the radio call came on YouTube so I could put it up there and show you guys. Cause what, what was funny about that is I was, I was in church for the end of the game. All right. And all, and I, I, I saw on my phone, I saw the, the score come up that Philly had kicked a field goal. Right. So I, I said, okay, that's it. Game over. Stop looking. Mm-hmm. And then my phone blew up. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it did. Yeah, and people are like, wow. I think I got the, the, the text message, wow. Well, I'm sure. About 50 times. I think I sent you one on Facebook, in fact. And I have no idea what happened until I got home. All right. And the first thing I wanted, obviously I wanted to see what happened. But I, I had to hear Paul call it. It's, oh, it's yeah. like, you know, when the Kings won the Stanley Cup, it wasn't official till I heard Bob Miller call it. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. We did a show that day, remember? Yep. Because you beat my Rangers. Yes, we did. Yes, you did. And uh, and so, that, you know, that was a real high watermark. That was, you know, the top of the uh, the, the the mountain for football experience. And then the next week, you abs we absolutely got thrashed. We got obliterated. <laughs> and... The choice you make is, is, is do you hang on to the week before, which was something that was marvelous and wondrous, or do you stay depressed over what happened the week after? Right. I'm hanging on to uh, the wondrous thing that happened. Hey, that made the, that, that made the whole year worthwhile. Oh, right. I guess so, you know. And, that's, uh, that's true. And that's kind, you know, that's kind of how I deal with uh, my faith life. I mean, you know this. I, you know, people close to me know it. The last few years have been really, really, really difficult. Oh, I know. And they're really difficult right now. I know that too. But there are times when, in the midst of the difficulty, that God shows Himself. Right. That's not something. It's not something you can explain to somebody else. It's not something that. Uh, you know, because God wasn't speaking to somebody else. He was speaking to me. Right. He was showing himself to me. And I can't deny that it's God. So God's God is with me. And you hang on to those things. You know, when a, if you're going to get doctrinally technical. Right. Better do that. You can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, thanks. But uh, <laughs> for example. Uh, the Lutherans, when they talk about assurance, they say, remember your baptism. Okay. Because in baptism, you were uh, regenerated. They believe it is your baptism that saves you. So if you're going through a time of doubt and uh, you know hard times where you're wondering where God is, you remember your baptism. Okay. Now, that doesn't work for an evangelical. It doesn't you know, work across the, the, the board of Christendom. But you do need to remember those times 
when God was very real to you, when even in the midst of a bad situation, he didn't change the situation, but what he did was is he showed himself to you in a way that you knew it was him. And th this is, uh, if you remember back in the Old Testament, uh, the Israelites were told to post memorial stones. So when they were in a place where God showed himself strong to them, they, they built, they, they memorialized that place with physical things that noted that at this place and at this time, God did this. Right. I think we have to do that too, Phil. I that mean, you sense. haven't, you haven't had a real good time the last few years either. No, not at okay? all. So, no. I mean, you understand the struggle of faith. Oh, yes. It's just critically important, in my opinion, that as we walk through these things and we see these things where it's like God answered a prayer or God showed himself, that we make these mental memorial stones. Even better, <clears throat> if you have the discipline to do it, is journaling. Uh, frankly, I, I don't have the time. <laughs> right, of course you don't, no. But to write down these moments where you know that you know that you know that God has shown himself to you. Right. So that you can go back and reference those things when you don't feel like he's anywhere in, you know, in your zip code. That makes sense. You know, and it's undeniable when that happens, too. It's undeniable. And that's the great thing. But uh, I still remember in 1997, Florida Marlins and Cleveland Indians. I was out in Las Vegas. I was at the Desert Inn. And I was the tennis director there in the summer of 92 I taught at a club for the just for the summer in Ohio so I started watching these Indians these young guys play and my best friend is an Indians fan he's a pastor and anyhow 97 rolls around and I'm just finishing work and I call my friend and we were watching the game together from the seventh inning on and it was interesting because Jose Mesa blew the save and they lost in game seven. It was a terrific World Series. Four games went into extra innings. And my heart sunk that day. It was weird. It was undeniable that I cared enough about that team. That was kind of the same way I felt when uh, I was going through my little struggles with the Bible itself and the authority of Scripture and whatever. Same way, kind of like sunk. There... <laughs> I hate to say this. I hate to admit it. But, I, I mean, I, I do get way too emotionally invested in sports. Well, I vowed after that that I never would. Because I used to laugh at people who got miserable when their teams lost. But I wasn't a very happy camper for a few days after that. And, and then I decided not to and, and just to just enjoy sport for what sport is. And it's probably helped me doing what I do now. But, uh, yeah, it's easy to get emotionally invested. I don't laugh at people who do it. I understand it because I've done it. Well, especially, so I've been a Viking fan since I was a very little boy. That's right. I know that. Very little boy. And I'm not, I'm a very old guy now. I understand that too. <laughs> Me too. Uh, and so I have this history. I have this um, kinship with them. 
The one thing that I've learned over the years, though, and don't don't I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I still don't enjoy the losses at all. Right? No, who does? But so my Vikings were obliterated by the Philadelphia Eagles, and as badly as I felt about that, our friend Kevin. Oh, right. Yeah, sure. Who writes for the site. He does. And who's just uh, as good a person as you'll ever want to meet. Yes, he is. Um, in spite of his Philly fandom. In, in, in spite of all of that. He's overjoyed. He should be. Kevin's going to the Super Bowl. You're right. And, well, he's not physically going as far as I know. He, uh, spiritually, <laughs> he is. Though sports, spiritually, spiritually he, he, he is. Yes, he's going to be at, the, at, at our stadium enjoying that. But... I'm learning at a very late age to enjoy the fact that he's so happy. Oh, yeah. It's funny you bring that up, too, with Kevin, because you know me and him go back and forth over that stuff. I don't anymore, or hardly, only with him. I coach in Maine. I, I got a tennis director job in Maine in 2016. I'll be going there for my third season this summer. And I met a young kid there who is a Philly fan, and at that time I was bashing everything Philadelphia. And he said to me, he said, you know, I don't think it's such a great job to bash teams. He's a little kid, right? So I shut up after that. And anyhow, he writes for my site now, and he's 14, huh. and we're best of pals. <clears throat> but, here, but here's the thing, though, is he texted me two weeks ago because he writes. he's also writing for uh, – one of the premier fantasy sites that I write for called Creative Sport. He's 14. He's probably going to be go farther than I ever did. But the thing is, is that he texts me like two weeks before and he says, you know something, man? I am so excited that finally a team in Philadelphia during my lifetime is going to do something. And I, I wrote to him this morning and I said, dude, uh, don't get carried away now. You still got a column to write today. But congratulations i'm happy for you and, and i've learned to do that too because people take it seriously especially kids well and, and just the ability to enjoy the fact that someone else is being blessed that's exactly right does that work in christianity though because i'm sometimes i don't think it does well a, a lot of times we look at our lives and then we look at other people's lives and we go, excuse me, hey, Lori, don't you know that's a jerk? Right, exactly. <laughs> how, about, how about you kind of, you know, spread some of that over here? Right, I get that. And it becomes really a matter of, I mean, if you want to boil it down to the bottom line, it becomes a matter of covetousness. Well, it does. Jealousy, too, right? And jealousy and envy and all of those things come which all lead to strife too and if you don't believe it <laughs> go look at social media oh yeah i'm a perfect example i'm trying to be better on facebook though well but one of the things that is a mark of maturity in christians is the ability to be blessed at other people's blessings right that's not easy to do though it's not easy to do and there was probably a time in my life when I was the age of your young friend, uh, up to about 40, where I probably wouldn't be talking to Kevin right now. 
Right. You know, that it, makes w- sense. it would take me a month or so or a year or so to, to, uh, to be able to, um, work through this. Right. And, you know, one of the signs that God's working in me is I'm genuinely really happy for Kevin. I am too, believe it or not. And you know what got me though with him too, not just with the, my student, because you know when when you do radio or whatever or writing and stuff, you don't see the people who read it. You don't realize that you know those guys are fans and you're trashing their favorite player or whatever. I saw a picture a couple of years ago of Kevin with his daughters at a basketball game, a 76ers game. Yep. And I was like, wow. I mean, I used to do that sort of thing too. And and I don't, I still rib him, but I've stopped really bashing teams other than the thunder. And I still do that, but uh, that's a different reason. But uh, yeah, I'm so happy for him. In fact, I'm going to send him a note later today because Kevin's great. If you get a chance, go to Phoenix preacher. I think he writes every Wednesday. Is it? He's on a sabbatical now. All right. Because he's too happy, his, his euphoria over his Philly teams have uh, he just overtaken has a life. him. <laughs> right, he has. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I haven't seen him much on social media either. So yeah, of course. But yeah, he's written for us, and uh, he's he's, and he does some really good stuff for us. Very and he stuff. and he will in the future as well. But you know, and what and what you're talking about too with the, you know the bashing, is we too quickly descend into tribalism. Exactly. My for, team is better than your team. And it's not just it's not just in sports. It's nope. in politics and it's in the church. My Baptist church is better than your Baptist church because we're part of the SBC and you're an independent. And our doctrine is sound and your f- false teachers are heretics and we've got it right and you don't. And rah, 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 rah. Or we play the piano and sing with it, and you don't. So you are a heretic and you are damned. Yeah. We're always looking for all of these reasons to split into into tribes so right. that we, we can joust with each other. It's and like we, the clique in high school. Uh, it's so much like the clique in high school. And, the and cool I, kids versus the jocks. I read this stuff. And, and frankly, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm just so sick of it that I, I ignore most of it. Right. And, and you're wise and, to do that. And in, in sports, whenever I see a sports columnist writing that a given player is trash. Oh, I hate that. Or, you know, they're, they're just, you know, they use some, uh, uh, untoward term to describe them i'm like they're junk yeah they're junk dude there there are only only so many spots in professional athletics right and and this person wherever he ranks in that pantheon managed to achieve something you never will something the rest of us never will hey you know i got a funny story to tell you when i uh i used to call dirk nowitzki soft because he's a European, you know, the labeled big men in Europe, soft. Yep. Okay, anyway. Remember two seasons ago I was covering the Knicks and I was living in in the Hamptons? 
I went to a shoot around and Carmelo Anthony, who I've been critical of, also kind of became a friend. And he got Dirk Nowitzki to come down, to come over because the shoot arounds at the same time so the media can talk to the reporters or, or players or whatever. And he says, hey, Dirk, this kid I think you're soft. He goes, post him up. And let me tell you something. That guy is like a freaking tree, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, I'm not small by any stretch of the imagination. <coughs> I usually can hold my own pretty good, especially in sport. I've been doing it my whole life. Let me tell you something, man. He could have hurt me. He didn't. He laughed about it. And he says, see, you made a friend. He said to me, he goes, I just became a fan of you because at least you had the courage to try. And I became a fan of his because he was so kind to me and didn't kill me. But he backed his butt into me, and that was the end. I was hurt. I mean, I thought I was going to die, and he didn't even do it hard. He's not soft, but I learned something from that. You never see me call a, a player trash. That 15th man on the NBA bench is better at that than most anything that you could ever do. That guy who achieved a tennis ranking of 1,290, which is the hot, lowest ranking you can get on the ATP Tour, would whip you nine times out of ten blindfolded and ten times out of ten without the blindfold. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's... Boy, we went somewhere, didn't we, with this? It's just this desire that we have to, to trash anyone that we perceive to be on the other side. And we create, we actually create demons to, to dislike. Right. Um, you know, the Republicans and the Democrats, uh, both have some decent people and some indecent people. Sure. And fr frankly, the way that, that things are being done right now in Washington is utterly indecent on both sides. Of course. Um, and, and one of the reasons for that is, is we, we participate in this by lining up and, and pretending that there's a good and bad here. And in, instead of trying to actually solve the problems and do the things that government was supposed to do. In Christendom, Jesus told us that we were to seek unity. And we find, and, and I see it every day on my blog, we find all of these different reasons why we can't possibly do that. Because you're just not as good as, I, as we are. I hate that. Your, your doctrine sucks. Your practice sucks. Everything about you sucks. We're the church. Your preacher wears jeans and a t-shirt. And, and, your, and your priest wears a dress. Right, you know? yeah. Oh, it, right. That's very helpful. We just find all of these ways to contend with each other. And in, in, in the way that it should be going is I think the way that I'm looking at uh, sports. Um, I love my Vikings. Yes, you do. I, I love being an Anglican. You do, yeah. But I, I totally that. understand uh, why you're a Browns fan or a Giant fan. Right. It doesn't mean you're you're there's something wrong with you it means that you're different from me exactly and in those in those differences we still have this commonality of a love for the sport and in church we should uh, be looking at the commonality that we have which should be a love for christ that's a good point you know something you brought up this uh 
I wouldn't want to do that. You know what I wouldn't want to do? What's that? And I'm a journalist, I guess. Technically, I suppose. I would not want to be a journalist in Mexico. Why is that, Phil? I, I just couldn't do that. Um, this is incomplete, this list, but since 2007, well over 100 Mexican journalists and medium people have been murdered for writing stories about a various amount of things. And it's not safe for them. And um, a couple years ago, I read about Emilio Gutierrez from Charles Bowden, right? That's correct. Yeah, see, I, I do read your stuff, Michael. I know you don't believe it sometimes, but I actually do. I just don't comment much unless people call me out by name. Then I have to just to tell them I'm alive because your community cares about me. And I appreciate that. But Emilio Gutierrez is a journalist. He had worked in numerous jobs. And he always, in, in the reports that I've read, in the interviews that I've read of him, he was always mindful not to push the wave, so to speak, because he didn't want to end up like the other journalists. And essentially what he did is he wrote a fluff piece that wasn't even serious in his opinion. And they decided the Mexican army... He had heard rumors that the Mexican army was going to kill him. And obviously, if you hear stuff like that and you're a journalist in Mexico, you should probably take those things seriously. He came to America with his son in 2008. And now, America wants to send him back. What in the heck, Michael? I I don't know. I... Uh... For those of you who are interested in this story, it was written by the late, great Charles Bowden um, in Mother Jones magazine. It was an article uh, called We Bring Fear back in 2009, which is when Emilio first came to America uh, seeking asylum. And uh, the numbers that you uh, have quoted are, are close. Uh, in 2017, 42 journalists were killed in Mexico. Uh, the numbers are ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. And this like has been cough. going on. This has been going on for over a decade. If you say or or do anything that uh, exposes anything corrupt in Mexico, which you could do 24/7 for the next 10 years, right? Your life is in danger. Completely. And one of the reasons that this country hasn't been able to uh, get back on its feet is that it's basically a lawless state where information uh, is, is done at the end of either a bribe or a gun. And so this man came screaming to the border, and he did everything legally. He's not, uh, he's not looking for, he wasn't trying to uh, become an immigrant here. He was seeking asylum, meaning he was trying to come into this country because uh, his life would be in danger if he stayed where he was. Right. An, an asylum application and an application uh, to come here and work or things like that are two different things. For a great 
amount of time since 2009, Emilio and his son have both been incarcerated here. Right. What I have to look at and what I'm hoping someday that everybody will be able to look at is how do we respond to this as Christians? I think we should respond with outrage. This is outrageous to me because here's the thing. In a country that allegedly values its freedom of expression and freedom of the press, why on earth would we not give this man asylum when his life is at risk? We go to places where and disrupt countries all the time and uh, their further politics. But yet we have a guy who came to this country legally, who sought asylum. He tried to do everything the right way, who has not caused any trouble whatsoever in either his country or this one. And his life is at risk and the life of his son, who is completely innocent. That's an outrage. The outrage to me is that we are looking at people like Emilio Gutierrez through political lenses, uh, through Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative lenses, instead of looking at them as people who are desperately trying to save their lives. If, if he gets deported, he'll be killed. Yes, he will. 100%. Now, Guaranteed. he would get Now, he would get the opportunity though to select the country he's deported to, correct? Perhaps. So, let let's let's look at that. Um Hey Phil, we're shipping you out. Thanks. You you get a you get a pick where you want to go. I'll go back to Greece. No, you don't get to go to Greece because you might have friends there. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. I have to pick some place where I have to go. How do you propose that somebody be dropped into another country without any income, right. without any history, without right. any place to live, without any anything? How in the world? Is that compatible with Christian ethics? How how is it compatible with any with human human ethics? This is a human being with a son. This guy's only crime, and if you want to even call it a crime, was was doing... telling the truth about the Mexican army. Yeah, exactly. And he didn't even think it was that serious. And remember, we pay the Mexican army half a billion dollars a year. Right to allegedly fight drugs. And and just let me say this for the hundredth time, the biggest cartel in Mexico is the Mexican army. Absolutely it is. Yeah, sure. I, okay. I know guys from Mexico I work with in the summer who tell me that stuff. And and so, you know, part of the problem is, is that if we give uh, Emilio asylum, we're admitting that there is great corruption in this uh, group that we're paying half a billion dollars to. So the bottom line is, if you're willing to meddle in the country's foreign affairs, or uh, okay, let's forget that. Let me try this again. 
you want to build a wall. The only wall we should be building is four walls surrounding Emilio Gutierrez to protect him from the people who are trying to kill him. He is in this country. He came, again, legally. He came, he didn't go hide and work for some restaurant or whatever. He's not running from the law. He's running for his life. Correct? Phil, I, I think you've put it as clearly as possible. It boggles my mind. It, it breaks my spirit in a lot of ways. Um, because the reality is, is that you're going to get hate mail and I'm going to get hate mail. I get it every day. For bringing this up. I get it every day. And where is our humanity? <laughs> well, you know, where, where is our spirituality? And it gets back to what we were saying before. We have allowed our spirituality and our humanity to be subsumed into tribalism. Yeah. Where we, everything is binary. We're completely for our side. We're completely against your side. And who, if there's collateral human damage, we'll damn them. It doesn't matter. We want our side to win. Right. And if you really believe that God blesses that, you know a different God than I do. That's a good way to end this show. I'll tell you, I, I'm going to say something else now. Emilio Gutierrez, again, did nothing wrong. He, did, he didn't publish fake news. He didn't uh, create something that wasn't true for profit. He wrote what he considered a fluff piece. Again, this is a guy who was mindful that his life could be taken from him and that of his children, wife, whatever. And he was always mindful of that. You know, he, he basically he was a journalist who minded his own business. And he wrote something that the Mexican army did not like. He fled for his life when he heard reports, just like any one of us would do. Well, if we heard that someone was trying to kill us, we would go to the police. Unfortunately, he couldn't do that. So what did he do? He ran into the open arms, legally, of a society that claims to be on, on the side of people such as him. But unfortunately, those people have decided to turn their eyes and neck and head the other way go back on all the things that they say that they claim to do and want to send him back to be executed for something that we take for granted in this country. I find it disgusting. And I'll say the amen. For Pastor Michael Noonan, I'm Phil Nason, and we want to thank you as always for listening to Calvin's Corner. 